marketing and sales have to be collaborators for this new buyer journey and support each other or a company is basically leaving money on the table. It doesn't work the way that it used to. I'm surprised it worked the way it did then. It did, but who knows? You know, we're learning a lot as we go. B2B has the potential to be electrifying, but the industry is paralyzed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Jennifer Leggio, who is CMO of Notography. Jennifer, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. You're very welcome. Now, I've given the briefest of introductions, as I always do, to give you the opportunity to actually give a little bit more of an extended introduction to yourself, just for the benefit of those people tuning in that may not be familiar with you. So the floor is yours for the next 30 seconds. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, I'm Jen. I am uh, Chief Marketing Officer. I have been in cybersecurity marketing for about 23 years, grew up through communications and um, I absolutely love it. And I uh, can't imagine doing anything else, quite frankly. That's that's the first time, weirdly, that anyone has actually said that they love their, their job and their profession. But you'd have thought we would have heard that more. But um, yeah, I think that's that's very reassuring that you've got you've got that passion. Um, and today's conversation, I'm, I'm hoping we're going to be able to give a, a slightly alternative view to some of the prevailing discourse that exists within the industry. Um, I think it's been very well documented. It's certainly been very well discussed about this need for marketing and sales to have greater alignment. But my observation is, is that sometimes it's an oversimplification and people try to sort of say, well, sales and marketing come together. They should be judged on the same metrics. They should have the same objectives. And not only does that, I think, is a bit reductive, but also I think that it potentially removes the accountability that needs to exist. Now, from your perspective, do you feel that that um, too greater alignment in terms of metrics is actually a bit of a problem when it comes to approaching this matter? I do. I absolutely do. I think that, you know, for a very cohesive go-to-market organization, sales and marketing should be striving for the same, uh, you know, close, you know, close business goal, overall pipeline goal. But when you get to the point where you're splitting things out by lead source or lead origin and how a deal comes in, and measure like marketing contributed this much pipeline, channel contributed this much pipeline, sales team, and what other, if you have PLG, you may be looking Mm -hmm. at PQLs. It gets very muddy and very messy because marketing can't create pipeline. We can create engagement um, and high quality leads, and we can even help the sales team qualify those leads from a human perspective, but we can't create pipeline um, so measuring marketing on pipeline development just doesn't make, it never really made sense, but now with today's buyer journey, it especially does not make sense. Okay. That, that's interesting. So I, I, I'd be interested to understand where do you, I suppose, draw the boundary in terms of where the pipeline actually starts? Cause I think there is certainly, you know, some people would argue that marketing needs to feed in 
to the, the funnel and work it through mm -hmm. the funnel and that that creates the pipeline so for you what is that that boundary if you like where it goes from marketing to actually the pipeline that's a that's a very good question a good clarification yes marketing should attract new business people that are interested in buying folks that are warmed up for sales absolutely that's part of our job where that line I draw is when you start looking at opportunity creation and opportunity value and you start measuring marketing on the value of opportunities and pipeline that say came from a, uh, a, a resource like a, a, a white paper or mm -hmm. from an event or something like that. That's that's the piece of it. So we need to look at lead qualification. We need to look at conversion. We need to look at, you know, um, are we giving sales the right handoffs in mm -hmm. order for them to create opportunities? But in terms of, and I can give an example of this yeah. later, um, but in terms of measuring on that actual pipeline created from a lead that was, say, sourced from someone filling out a, a dreaded form, which we all trying to get away from. Um, it just gets really messy. It's also unfair to sales in a way. And, and you, you talk there about the idea of the, the handoff. And I think that it, I would love to just dig into that a little bit because sure. I think that it's, well, from, from my perspective, it's, it's really important that it's not a, a handoff and right. It's, it's over to you. You do your, 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 your magic. Right. Our job is done. It needs to be more of an extended sort of uh, collaboration, I suppose, when you're passing over the baton. So from, from mm -hmm. your perspective, if you're you know, talking about in terms of ideal terms, what does that handoff look like? What does the stage before it look like? What does the handoff look like? And then what's the bit that comes after that? Sure. And I will say that for, for the last few companies I've worked for, We've moved away from the funnel entirely because mm. the funnel itself indicates that like once that lead drops off, it's sales is problem to deal with. Mm. Marketing is no longer involved. So we've moved to more of that butterfly or bow tie that a lot of people yep. use. And marketing, as you know, is, per is permeated throughout that whole journey, even after customer acquisition, not mm -hmm. just to get references, but also to help create advocates. So in terms of what you specifically just asked me, you know, there's different ways to look at it. There is, you could look at the classic like marketing qualified lead that is scored to a certain amount or a marketing qualified account that has a certain amount of activity if you're looking at ABX and you know bringing that to the attention of sales team. But there's also, you might have a lead that only has one engagement, but it's a really senior level person that did one engagement. Mm -hmm. So you need to give the sales team signal for that because that person may never warm up to that marketing qualified lead for that handoff you asked me mm -hmm. about. In terms of the next step from there, it is letting the salesperson know, We, in our case, we let the sales rep and the CRO know, we're a small Series A company, so all hands on deck usually. We let the salesperson and CRO know, this lead took this action. We give them all the intelligence that we can find around it. Sometimes make recommendations on content that they can use or what their next best action is because of what they last did in our marketing automation mm -hmm. that indicated their interest. And then they go out and uh, you know try to book the meeting, try to get a demo, try to do their thing, whatever their mm -hmm. call to action is. But then we continue to nurture those leads and nurture those accounts 
on the other side of that. And even after an opportunity is created, we still try to do opportunity nurture. My company currently isn't at this stage yet, but eventually we'll get to nurturing opportunities by stage to help give the sales team that support when they're say end of quarter focusing on the folks that are further in, mm -hmm. in the pipeline journey. They forget, not forget, but they're not giving the people early on as much love. Mm. That's where marketing really comes in to keep those folks engaged. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that answered your question. No, no, I, it, it does. And I think it, it raises it's, you know, there's an interesting sort of question that I, I want to ask here. So um, we, we discussed at the beginning about how there does actually need to be some delineation in terms mm -hmm. of KPIs between sales and, and marketing. And actually just to sort of homogenize it would be um, too reductive. It wouldn't actually sort of serve the, the, the business particularly well. But as we were just talking there, there clearly does need to be that quite extended period where sales and marketing are working in unison, yes. doing different roles, but absolutely working collaboratively together. So I'd be interested from your perspective, what, what should the common KPIs be that sales and marketing jointly own? So the common KPI, I firmly believe, and I don't know if a lot of my CMO brethren will love this or not, <laughs> but I believe that marketing should own overall pipeline with alongside sales, mm -hmm. overall pipeline, um, and overall close one business, overall bookings mm -hmm. against target. Um, it, it, where I think you get into trouble because I'll give you a quick example. So if you look at the old, what I call the old model, and we've even moved away from this model of if you look at marketing sourced pipeline versus sales sourced pipeline, what is sourced? What does that even mean anymore with today's buyer journey, which mm, is basically mm. like the scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz yeah. pointing in all these different directions, right? So you have two different scenarios, one that's challenging for marketing, one that's challenging for sales. The one that's challenging for marketing is a marketing lead comes in, say, through a trade show. They had a great conversation. They had a demo at the show. They weren't just a booth scan. You know, you're not going to put a booth scan as a hot lead, but someone that actually stopped and take, took a demo with you. Um, you hand that off to sales through the process I just talked about. They get introduced to another buyer, another person in the org who turns out to be the buyer. They create that opportunity in Salesforce. And a lot of times in Salesforce, the opportunities are created with a primary contact for the opportunity. That may not be the person marketing brought in. Marketing brought in the account, but the opportunity looks like sales source that opportunity. When really, it's a team effort to get that lead in, all the effort that goes into the trade show itself, the SC that's at the booth, all of those things. In our case, we include customer experience up front so they know what they're getting, all of those things. So that doesn't represent marketing's effort. Flip that. We have a cold lead. In Salesforce. It's been there for a while. We tried to nurture them. They've maybe opened one thing. Sales rep comes in. They have a relationship with that prospect from a, another company. Um, they warm up that lead. That turns that into an opportunity, but it looks like a marketing sourced deal. What did marketing do? Now, we might have earned that lead in some way. They responded to an ad or what have you. So the, where the, the foundation of that is everyone, regardless, and it, you know, throw a channel in there, throw a product in there, you know, other teams, there's no one team that's responsible for creating opportunities. Mm. 
But to measure that way is not an accurate indicator of the effort that goes into it. And then that also skews the way you look at your ROI, and that can end up hurting the business. You, I mean, you, you, you referenced Salesforce. It's the CRM, I'm assuming, that you guys are yes. using using there. Um, and you were talking about, you know, these existing within Salesforce, but also you simultaneously talked about the complexity of sometimes that, that buyer journey. Uh, the fact it's not linear, it certainly doesn't uh, progress at the same rate all of the times, all of that, all of that stuff. I'm wondering from your perspective, given the tools available to you at the moment, how successful are you at being able to measure and understand the different touch points in the journey of um, you know, successful conversions at the moment. How, how good is the visibility you have? I would say we're a work in progress yeah. right now with, with where we're at with it, but we built a pretty robust operations model when mm. my CRO and I first started, which was early last year. Um, so we look really closely at um, marketing influence, which I think is a really important measure. So any leads that come in not from marketing, who, who is marketing touching along that opportunity journey mm. and where are they touching them and looking at the campaigns and where, we, what I, where we're at right now is not ideal state. What I can see right now is, okay, this deal is, has engaged or these contacts from this deal have engaged in this type of um, activity mm -hmm. that we've created where I want to get to is where in the opportunity stage are they engaging with us and what's the trend for that so then mm -hmm. moving forward we can be prescriptive with opportunity nurture mm -hmm. if that makes sense so it's pretty good visibility it's not yet great visibility mm -hmm. but I think that's what great visibility could look like because then you can get into predictive motion with how marketing can support sales yeah. and then even that even can educate all right we, it, it, especially we're in an emerging market, we're a series A company, or, you know, we're, we're finding our product market fit. For us, that's super valuable because we're like, all right, so the network engineer is really engaging consistently at this stage in the journey, maybe to validate what they're seeing in POV, this type of content, whereas, you know, the VP of the network operations center is looking at the bigger pie in the sky visionary stuff mm -hmm. from our CEO, so that informs our, our demand generation a little mm. bit more. But, you know, but it still goes back to, you know, it, that's still influence. It doesn't matter where those leads come from. We want to know, like, I don't care where the leads come from. Like, they could come from under my desk. I don't care. I just want us to win. And I feel like everybody should have that attitude. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. companies are now generating lots of data. There's lots of data available, but... I often wonder whether the the missing part of the, the the puzzle ultimately is the dedicated time and also the the sort of the skill sets to properly analyze that and to use that to inform how you evolve your um you know your go to market or your you know um buyer journey design that now you alluded to it a little bit in that um answer the answer you're just giving there but what what does it look like in terms of you know in real time how much time is spent analyzing that and using that to inform decisions about how you are going to, you know, tweak or, you know, evolve um, your approach? So for 
For uh, for me, I'd say I kind of block out a certain amount of time um, per week to three to four hours a week to really mm. analyze what's happening from lead connect like lead attraction all the way to lead conversion where opportunities are moving um you know the more we can automate the better obviously mm. through different workflows and reporting and roll-ups and all of that in order to t kind of give us a trend view you know building the right reports up front that can give you that trend data really helps minimize the time to put into it mm -hmm. but i always say you can't automate deductive reasoning I tell our sales team that when they are looking at a lead and, and they may, someone might say, well, that, that lead only took one action. And I'm like, that CISO just watched 20 minutes of a demo on our website. And the CISO for us, Chief, Chief Information Security Officer, is the, the ultimate you know, senior buyer. They've got the buying authority. I'd say go after them. Don't wait for them to take a bunch of page views and all these other things that mm. we might look at. Um, so, you know, I think you have to invest the time um, to do the human analysis, even if you have, there's a lot of different automated tools out there that, um, or tools for automation, I should say, that do feed up analysis, like that will give you the trend data. But I still think that it's worth it to spend the, the, the sweat equity yeah. to dig into it yourself because it may miss a nuance that could be really informative to your business. A hundred percent. And I mean, you, what you've described there about actually carving out a portion of your week or I can't actually remember if you said week or month or whatever it is, but like a portion of time dedicated to that is just so fundamentally important. I mean, look, in any area of business, like we can all, I think, relate to that idea of, well, I've just got to get done. I've got to keep working. I've got to keep working. I've got to keep cycling, 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 cycling. And the benefits of actually pausing, giving yourself that time for analysis and then drawing conclusions from the, the information that you have available is invaluable. Um, mm -hmm. Now, how, how, how engage a sales within that, that analysis process? Because I think this is really where you would get the best level of alignment is where they are both sales and marketing, seeing the information and making joint informed decisions about how they can better sort of work forward. Are sales very involved in that process? Our CRO is, which is yeah. great. And I think that's mm. how it should be. Um, you know, sometimes we get into, I joke, the Glengarry Glen Ross situation of like, this lead, this league stinks, or this account isn't really <laughs> that active. What's going on? Why do we have all this white space? Blah, blah, blah. Well, you're not working, really. you know, you, you, there's always going to be healthy friction between mm. sales and marketing. But, you know, we have um, my CRO and I every week, we have a weekly lead review and account review where we go through what activities are sales team mm -hmm. taking, what trends is he seeing with sales engagement when they're trying to get into accounts up front, what's working in opportunities, what's working in POVs. So I can translate that back to what we're doing in terms of attracting and nurturing and I share with him what's working in campaigns. We're very mm -hmm. transparent. Um, I have an ongoing roster we call it Blogs and Blasts. So the, t the sales team always knows what content is coming and when, even though it changes all the time, mm -hmm. just because the nature of marketing and content strategy. Um, so they know what we're thinking and they, they can feed into like, hey, we, Jen, we took your DDoS demand gen campaign and we humanized it and we got a bunch more engagement. Can we do that again at scale? So I think 
it, you know, it works really well for us. Um, I think everybody, everybody should do that. And I think all of this comes down to what we're talking about here is the partnership between marketing and sales. It used to be that, that marketing served sales. Mm. Marketing and sales have to be collaborators for this new buyer journey and support each other or a company is basically leaving money on the table. Yeah. It doesn't work the way that it used to. I'm surprised it worked the way it did then. It did, yeah. but who knows? You know, we're learning a lot as we go. Uh, definitely. I, look, it has to be, it has to be that collaboration. And uh, you referred there about sort of how the, the old approach and that, that new approach. I, I also am just interested to know, and this is more of a cultural thing. In the old days, a deal comes in, the person who has the round of applause, the champagne pops, it's the salesperson. Culturally, have you got to a point now where if, if something comes in, there really is that joint recognition. It's not just sales that are given all the plaudits. Marketing is absolutely given that recognition as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I do really value our CRO and our CEO for that. Um, it's not something I have seen in a lot of companies I've worked for, unfortunately. But, you know, we do these deal announcements. Uh, we won the opportunity, of course, the salesperson and the SEs that are on the front lines. But it's like, you know, thank you, marketing, for bringing this mm. in or helping us with this or, you know, whatever we did. And that thank you, product, for your work behind the scenes to build a custom integration mm. that they may have needed. You know, it's all very, you know, it's all very team oriented. And yeah. from a, it, it, ma it makes all the difference because that's how you get like forget me and the CRO we need our teams to work together so mm -hmm. we have to set that example of combined wins and combined losses and that we own that together and we have to fix it together so it doesn't become a marketing versus sales on the flip side so our teams work together one-to-one -to -one when we're not even present yeah I mean it's, it, as you said it's a uh it's very important it's very simple but ultimately it's just behavioral psychology if you want to right. get marketing to be working towards the same goal which is ultimately getting things to be converted they've got to actually see the fruits of their labor they've got to be recognized on a human level if you're not recognized you're not gonna have that motivation um i mean that's that's, that's fascinating i've got one penultimate question before i ask our house question and, and you may have an answer to this or you may not but um you know we've we've spoken a lot about the best ways of you know measuring marketing i mean obviously we're talking about measuring sales as well but um that's where the predominant conversation has been. I'm just wondering from your perspective, are there any left field, unusual measurements of, you know, successful marketing that you think that the industry should adopt, which currently is a little bit of a fringe measurement? You got any surprising <laughs> ways of looking at success? For friend, you know, I marketing influence is a standard. Yeah. I do something called, um, uh, like nurtured opportunities, which are any leads that um, come in from any source that go through the conversion process that actually mm -hmm. go to AQL or go to MQL before they become an op. That's helpful to see like that, that people are really growing through that. I don't mm -hmm. know if I would call that a fringe answer. Um, I will say that, um, the way the buying model has changed, your communications arm in the old days, 
when budgets get tight, we're in a we're in a macro economy like we're in now. A lot of times, communications, PR, brand building, etc., are the, are the first things to go. They are more important than ever right now because they're the only ways the buyers are going to come to you mm-hmm. if you go where they're at because they're not as buyers aren't as engaged with our campaigns and email and such. So measuring things like share of voice. But not just share of voice, but up-leveling that to share of mind. And share of mind is something I've really started to dig into, and it's a little bit of tape and glue. So I look at the share of voice. All right, what are we getting related to our competitors? What coverage are we getting in media? Who's syndicating our blogs? What traffic are we getting in from those things? How does that relate to our HubSpot activity? Who's looking at what pages around the time that those things are coming in and then I can measure the impact of those external those things around media that mm. people always say oh you can't relate that to pipeline oh you can't relate that to marketing and demand gen as easily that's really important uh, I don't know again I don't know if it's a fringe but I think share of mind you don't hear people talk about that the other thing that we started using is a tool called Octopost where you can yeah. actually integrate um, social media with Salesforce and you get indicators of interest and intent from, from social where before it used to be kind of a fluffy external metric. So I don't know if those are friend, you know, they're not groundbreaking by any means, but I don't, I know that those are things that a lot of my marketing friends are just starting to look at when we start talking about it. And the, the whole, you know, you, you, you've begun that in terms of talking about the importance of, brand and you know mm-hmm. i think there is this misconception uh, or preconception maybe uh, that you can't measure brand in a, in a meaningful sense but as you've just demonstrated there are a number of different ways that you can do that and if you are relating that to you know other metrics that you're seeing in terms of pipeline then you are able to infer the effect in effectiveness of that so absolutely you know getting that share of voice share of search share of mind you know these are all things which we should be looking at because yes there is a little bit of a lag time but fundamentally it does contribute to the the end result um it's been a really really good conversation really really enjoyed this but before you go um i can't let you leave without asking the house question which is when was the last time that you saw a piece of marketing an advert, piece of creative, whatever it might be, that really moved you on a deep emotional level, that made you feel it in your guts? Oh, goodness. Um, it's definitely not the Barbenheimer stuff that's been going on. <laughs> I will say what it's not. Um, I mean, that's been driving me crazy. Um, I would say, you know, I live and breathe network security, so that's, that's what I notice most of the time. But um, I recently saw a, a campaign from a cybersecurity company. They're, they're focused on the human emotional element of the buyer. Mm-hmm. And it basically was a campaign that was, how do, we give me, how do we give you more time back with your family? Yeah. And in our industry, it's, it's very tricky because you don't want to... You can't scare, like there's a lot of, there are a lot of scary things in cybersecurity and you can be like, you don't want to be the next one breached, but you don't do that. But like, you know, or, you know, time saved, money saved, et cetera. But this was like a really moving ad that a picture of a woman playing with her kids 
and person was a CISO implied. It's like, do you want more time back with your family? And that really resonated to me because nobody thinks about the humans behind the keyboards mm -hmm. in the buying cycle. And I think we need to do more of that in enterprise B2B. I know it happens more in consumer, which I'm not an expert in at all. Um, but in enterprise B2B, I think we could get more human. That would help. Absolutely. And I think that the way that you get, get there is just by doing the, the tried and tested process fundamentally, if you're going to be producing a piece of market communication, which is to start with an insight on your audience and to go beyond the ordinary questions that you would ask because you know it'd be very very easy if you're speaking to somebody who is a CISO and you get them to characterize what are the the risk factors involved with cyber at the moment how is this uh, impacting operational efficiency blah 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 etc etc but to actually just go that extra step and just be like you know for you on a personal level what are those what's the consequences Exactly. of these frustrations how does that impact you then you, you get to that point where it would be a very very clear sort of uh, emotional driver which is wanting to spend time with the family or just to actually just have a little bit of time back um, and then to build it around that you can just see how that would work so um, yeah I think it's a really really good one to share but I think it's also just like if you break it down logically you can see why it works and that's really I think probably what people should take from this if they want to do something more human there is a real logical reason why it, it should work um but look as I said um really really enjoyed the conversation I think it's fantastic in terms of the level of detail that we were able to go into I think we really sort of dissected um as best we could given the complexity the new the new buyer journey but I think that that overriding sort of sentiment from from my perspective is that look Sales and marketing do need to work in a joined up capacity, but we can't just have singular metrics to judge that success. What it's mm -hmm. actually about is breaking down that buyer journey into almost the minutiae and ascribing some sort of value to that. If you get that understanding of the impact and the influence at those different stages, it then becomes much, much more meaningful in terms of both how sales and marketing can adapt the approach um, to get better results. So Absolutely. Jennifer, it's been, a, actually Jen, sorry, you introduced yourself as Jen and I've just uh, <laughs> given you your formal, your formal Either full one. name. Um, it's <laughs> been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it, appreciate it. Please be marketing the provocative truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.